Hello, I am Anika Orock, author of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and you are listening to the fabulous Baseball and Barbecue Podcast with Jeff and Len. From the studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York, this is episode number 150. I'm Jeff Cohen, along with Leonard Hollywood Aberman. We welcome you back to our podcast. Leonard! Episode 150. And Jeff? Yeah? What I'm doing just before episode 150? By the way, hello to you, hello to the audience, hello to our guests, but I'm going to tell you what I was just doing. What Would you like just to doing? Tell us. Well, because of one of the guests tonight, which is Colin Cosell, and our other guest, I, I'm just going to say who our guests are before we get any further, Colin Cosell, and of course, Yafi Lavova, okay, which... For anyone who doesn't know, that's Jeff's niece. <laughs> I pulled back the curtains on that. But Jeff, you had somebody who took my place. I was not able to make the Colin Cosell interview. And the reason I'm putting my resume together is because I think I'm being replaced. Oh, please. No, I, I have to say that I'm looking... I sending my resume out to baseball phd the metzian podcast subway to shea the barbecue central show the barbecue happy hour pit life barbecue tail guys baseball talk radio show steve ray out of ultawa who has his show and of course smoking hot confessions barbecue with ben arno not only am i giving them plugs but but i'm also sending them my resume because i'm hoping they're going to need a podcast host jeff you, you forgot one what did I forget? You've been on Mets Musings a, a, more than a few times. Oh, well, and, and you're not, you didn't even list them. Yeah, but I, I can't list it because that's the one who's going to replace me. <laughs> Gary Mack. Well, let's, let's pull back the curtain. Uh, Colin Cancel could only have, uh, <laughs> he could only record in the afternoon and Len was not able to make it. And Gary's retired. I, I was able to record during my lunch. So we were able to do work it that way. And it was exceptional. Listen, you guys did a great job. Jeff, the research you did for that was impeccable. Gary stepped in uh, like, you know, like I went on the injured list. Gary came in. You know what it is? I know what it is. It's the Yankees and that first baseman who, of course, now I can't even think of his name. And in comes Gehrig. And that was it. So... I'm being replaced, but that's okay. All right. So let me just tell you guys that bet online, it's the fastest 
and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50. That's B L E A V 50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And Jeff, I think we're going to start with Colin Cosell, you and Gary Mack, who do a great job. So let's get started with Colin Cosell. You have heard our guest to be the voice over on ads on TV and radio for Wendy's, Verizon, Natural Light Beer, Domino's, Taco Bell, and Subway. He's been a stand-up comic, acted in theater. He was an MC and had an online media presence. For the last five seasons, he's been one half of the New York Mets public address announcing team along with Marisol Castro. He is Colin Cosell. Welcome, Colin. Thank you so much, Jeff. That was one heck of an introduction. Uh, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. And pinch hitting for Len today is none other than the host of Mets Musings, Gary Mack. Hi <laughs> hey guys, how are you all? <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks for asking me, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Yes. So, Colin, let me start with this. You grew up with a man with, let's say, a distinctive voice. Did you know at a young age that you wanted to be in some type of profession that required your vocal talents? A hundred percent. I mean, I didn't. I knew that when I was about five years old. So there weren't really any vocal talents at all, uh, unless uh, someone was looking for a high pitched, squeaky five year old, which they weren't. So basically, I was relegated to using a, a little mini tape recorder, or Fisher Price, Fisher Price rather tape recorder, that sort of thing. But yeah, I uh, I watched my grandfather do his thing for the first time when I was five years old, and just knew at that moment that I wanted to talk into microphones. Now, Colin, growing up in a house like that with your grandfather around at times and uh, whatnot, what is some, you must have come, came across a lot of famous people growing up. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it became kind of the norm, so I didn't really recognize it. Case in point was uh, one summer, it was in the late 80s, and I was, uh, each summer my family, uh, my, my mom and my siblings and I, we would go out to my grandfather's beach house in the Hamptons, and uh, we would spend the entire summer out there. And my grandfather would come out whenever he could. He was, you know, still pretty busy, even though he was retired from Monday Night Football and uh, and, and baseball and boxing and the like. And there was this one time I came back and my grandfather was on the deck talking to this gentleman with uh, long blonde hair. It was in a ponytail. Uh, and I think it was like cut off jean shorts and like a tattered shirt. I don't know. The guy, I, as far as I could tell, he could have been there to clean the pool. I didn't know. And my grandfather <laughs> says, you know, this is my friend, John. Nice to meet you. Hi. Okay. So uh, I go and I, I jump in the pool. My brother, my second oldest brother is in the pool. And he goes, do you know who that is? And I said, I John, I guess that's what he, I was told. He goes, you know, that song that's all over the radio right now, living on a prayer. And I was like, yeah, he's like, that's the guy who sings it. 
Ah. Uh, so it was just John Bon Jovi who happened to be out there at the time and wanted to talk to my grandfather about owning uh, a team. He was interested in becoming a, a sports franchise owner and figured well, who better to talk to than, than Howard. So that was just one of those random things where it's like, oh, here's John and it's John Bon Jovi. So, yeah, it was it was very random, but it was you'd have actors, you'd have professional athletes, you'd have musicians. Uh, it was it was it was pretty random, but it was also I mean, that's all in hindsight. You know, when I was a kid, it was like, this is just what it is. And for some reason, these people want to hang out with Papa and I don't get it. But I guess he's on TV and it all makes sense. I don't know. But again, not not easy to make sense of when you're eight, seven or eight years old. <laughs> oh, you got stories for a lifetime. That's great. But you're, <laughs> you're not the only uh, child in, in, in the family who's in the sports business. You have a cousin, Greg Cosell, I believe it, it is. That's correct. He's my uh, yeah. He's my second cousin, Howard's nephew, who does a lot. He's an NFL analyst, and he's one of the best out there. The man is just he's a tour de force. He knows everything about everything. I've asked him for fantasy football advice. He refuses to give it. He will only do it over the ESPN airwaves or <laughs> NFL Films airwaves because he's like, you know, I don't want to lead you astray. We're family, and I'm like, you know what? I appreciate that. I'll I'll take that. But yeah, Greg, Greg is he's awesome. I when I had a podcast, I had him on as a guest, and we were thrilled at the prospect of being the first, you know, the first time there was ever two co-cells uh, sharing the airwaves. But uh, but yeah, Greg, Greg's the best. Nice, nice. I have to ask you, uh, I wasn't going to ask you, but I, I have to ask you, have you ever seen the Odd Couple episode with your grandfather? Oh, uh, more times than I can count. Oh, I love the episode. <laughs> A name drone. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh... He, he was, yeah, that was, that was, it's funny. It's become one of those things now where they, that's one of the top three things that people bring up w- with regards to my grandfather. Uh, it'll be, you know, down goes Frazier or something Ali related. Uh, it'll be the, uh, the announcement of John Lennon's assassination, or it'll be the odd couple. And more often than not these days, it's the odd couple uh, with the little, little sprinkling here and there of battle of the network stars or something along those lines. But, uh, but yeah, the odd couple comes up quite a bit and, it's i mean how can you say no it's it's hilarious yes i know <laughs> he he was uh you know he was quite a character uh jeff i don't know if you remember much you're a little bit younger than i am but he was quite the character but yet he he seemed very sure of himself and very uh r- relaxed in all of these different situations acting or whole, he had a variety show jeff i don't know if you remember that yeah yeah just a kind of an amazing guy like you said this is john that seems that's like the way he was yeah no he uh he was a big ham and i definitely inherited that from him (laughs) he he was very confident going on camera going on mic i mean his command of the english language how could you not be confident uh he's you know i I may have wanted to follow in his footsteps but i didn't realize that i had one quarter the brain and uh one eighth the talent (laughs) Uh, the only thing I could do is, you know, project well and uh, and enunciate and pronounce names correctly. So uh, but yeah, when it came to Howard, he had a great sense of humor. Uh, he loved theater. He loved comedy. He he did have that variety show. It was called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell, uh, which came out before the Saturday Night Live, which you now know and love. Uh, it's been on for seven thousand years, I believe yes. now that the other one. <laughs> uh, but. Fun little tidbit. The reason they say on the the current SNL uh, live from New York, it's Saturday night 
was because my grandfather still had Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell and they didn't want to have copyright infringement. So that's how they introduced the show. Interesting. My grandfather's show lasted six months. Saturday Night Live with Lauren Michaels did not. Uh, but <laughs> that that call for that that catchphrase, that that opening, that cold open catchphrase of Live from New York to Saturday Night is a direct uh, result of uh, the, the only lasting legacy of my grandfather's variety show. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, ama- that's amazing. So let's get back to uh, your your job at the Mets PA announcer. I understand that while you were bartending at Percy's Tavern, you met a couple of people who would be influential in your life. Could you tell us about that? Well, one of them is my wife. We've, we're coming up on five years of marriage. We met and started dating about uh, eight years ago. And at the time I was, uh, I was a bartender. She came on as a, a server, I became the manager of that bar. And uh, with that, I was able to, I mean, this is really the only uh, liberty I took with the job was making sure our schedules aligned. Um, but with that, uh, we were working on um, weekend mornings, uh, specifically like s- Saturday, Sunday mornings for brunch. And we had a uh, customer who became a regular, who became friends with, who had just started working for the Mets. And we became friends. And because of that, fast forward to Sunday, April 15th, 2018, I went to see the Mets and the Brewers. It was a four o'clock game. It was cold. It was misty. And the day before, it was like 80 and brilliant sunshine. It was gorgeous, a complete 180 uh, meteorologically. And so I was there with my wife and her maid of honor and uh, and a friend and I send a text to uh, the friend I'd made made from the Mets. I said, hey, I'm at the game today. And he's like, hey, come visit. Would love to chat, blah, blah, blah. He's like, anything to get me out of this rain, this mist, this awful weather. So I <laughs> went met up with him. We chatted a bit. He gave me a tour. And he said, look, we're looking for a new PA announcer. If you can get a demo in my hands tomorrow, um, I can put it into the right hands. And that's all I can do. We can sit back and hope for the best. Unfortunately, at the time, I was managing a couple of restaurants and bars in uh, in Queens, and I did not have the time to do it. I was working doubles back-to-back days, and I was like, well, there goes an opportunity. He said, get it to me by Wednesday, the latest. You're good to go. I did. Uh, and then uh, a month later, after dwindling down hundreds of uh, applicants and auditions and demos, uh, they narrowed it down to seven people who came into City Field to uh, do a live audition into an empty stadium. Uh, they had Mets brass and production brass scattered about the stadium, but were not visible. All seven of us were listed numerically. There were no names. So there's, you know, no nepotism there. There's no connection to, uh, you know, whoever brought you in or uh, was your hookup or whatever. You were just a number. I was number three. And Matasal Castro was number five and everyone wrote down their top two and they really liked it so much that they decided to make it a, a two headed monster. And so uh, later that day, got a phone call and said, hey, you're a finalist with uh, Matasal Castro. And I said, all right, cool. What's next? And he said, well, that's it. Uh, we're going to platoon it. And um, <laughs> congratulations. You got the job. All right. So uh, I have a, I have a wife. I have the dream job and Percy's is no longer in existence. So uh, thanks for the memories and uh, for the career changing people, uh, life changing and career changing people that came into my life as a result. That's great. And how do your duties uh, with Marisol get uh, split up? Uh, do you sit down or uh, go over the schedule with her or is it, you know, assigned to you? How does that work? They literally leave it up to us because both of us have separate careers. So, you know, it's trying to figure out, all right, whose schedule is it's going to work with? uh, Who's got a family reunion? Who's going away to the Cape for a weekend? You know, whatever the case. So we the first time we met at City Field, when we got the job, they literally said, here, meet a few of the production people uh, and then tossed us into a room and said, "Okay, just figure out your schedule. And it was like, okay, so that's what we did. And we sat down and we hammered it out. 
Fortunately, now with uh, Matasol's job, she's on Pix 11 here in New York, uh, Monday through Friday. She's got two teenage boys who are uh, active in athletics and what have you. She's She's got a million things going on. And it just made more sense for her to be doing weekend series and for me to do weekday series. And to be honest, I'm a summer bum. I don't mind having my weekends free, even though they're <laughs> still not for one reason or another. But uh, but yeah, we uh, we kind of hammered out based on that. And, you know, I said I'd love to do a couple weekend series just because that's when we get more fans and we never know. I mean, if the team is doing well, we're going to have you know, a great showing at City Field. Uh, Last night, for instance, we're playing against the lowly Cincinnati Reds. The Mets are in cruise control, and yet we had 36,000 fans in the stands uh, for an afternoon game, a Wednesday afternoon game in 90-degree heat. So, you know, still, it's like, I'd love to do a couple weekend games. So I I do a couple weekends here and there, but uh, otherwise, that's it. I do weekdays. She does weekends. Okay. I, I heard that one of your mentors told you about the three Cs. Could you elaborate on that? I mean, I can't call him a mentor. I just, I mean, except for from afar, just, you know, reading up on him and studying up on him. But that's the great Bob Shepard, whose career I'd love to emulate, love to do this until I can't speak anymore. I just don't feel like doing it anymore, much like him. And of course, he's the voice of God. And and literally, this is the only thing I can say that I can bring up to Mets universe and say, I'd like to be like Bob Shepard, the only member of the Yankees universe uh, where they're very accepting of that. They're Mm -hmm. like, yep, yep, we get that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Bob Shepard, nothing but respect. But it was... Bob Shepard that you learn the three C's to be clear, be uh, concise, and to be correct. I mean, correct, rather. Uh, clear, correct, and my God, did I... You said concise. It was concise, yeah. yeah. All right, I got the three C's. Yeah. Bob Shepard said it better. Bob Shepard said everything better. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> Do you prepare differently when depending on the opposition? For the opposition, I mean, anytime they're coming into town, I'll always look at the roster uh, because you never know who's going to be brought up, sent down, injured, traded for. And so I'll take a look at their current 40-man roster. At this point, you know, I've been doing this my fifth season, so I'm familiar with most of the names, but I always want to double check because the number one thing with my job is pronunciation. If I'm not pronouncing the names correctly, that's when I get in trouble. I could stumble. My voice could crack. Any other thing could go wrong. And it'll be like, hey, what happened there? No big deal. But if I don't pronounce the name correctly, that's a problem because the other team's PR is listening. The other team is listening. My bosses are listening. They, you know, people are paying attention to that sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, I will get ridiculed on Twitter as well. So there's myriad reasons why I want to get the pronunciations correct. But I'll, I'll scroll through and see if there's any names that are unfamiliar. We do have a uh, major, league, uh, major League Baseball issued pronunciation chart. Uh, ironically could barely get through that and pronounce it correctly. Uh, but the um, in it, there's every team and every uh, name that would be tricky. And there's the phonetic spelling of the last name. If it's not listed there, then I'll just triple check on three different broadcasts. How are the announcers announcing this player's name? Make sure I got it right. And, uh, and that's it. And then go in, see what the starting lineup is and make sure uh, I've got them all correct. So quadruple checking at that point. So what is a, a typical game day for you consist of? How long before the game do you get to the ballpark or, you know, that kind of thing? Uh, I aim to get there no no later than 90 minutes before my first read. I, I aim to get there two hours before because I like to get in there, get situated. I mean, as soon as I get to the ballpark, the first thing I do is I'm walking in and I get past security is 
I just gawk. I just look up at the giant city field uh, emblazoned <laughs> on the side of this, you know, monstrous ballpark and just kind of take it in. And like, you know, it's that pinch me moment every time. Like my voice is going to fill up this ballpark, this major league ballpark. There are 30 of them in the, in the world and I get to fill up, you know, this one with my voice. Once I'm done gawking, I get in, I'll go straight to my booth, I'll go through my scripts for any pregame stuff or any in-game stuff, make sure that the, uh, the you know, it grammatically reads well, that it, uh, you know, there's nothing that's going to stumble me up, make sure that it, if it says today and it's a night game, I scratch that out and write in the word tonight. Uh, just the, the little things like that. Uh, any names for uh, ceremonial or honorary first pitches, uh, the national anthem, kids take the, the field kind of thing, what, whatever it may be, just making sure that all of those pronunciations are correct. So uh, do a, a few read-throughs on those, familiarize myself with my scripts, go through my game log, see when I'm expected to read, highlight that so I know when to prepare or when I can run out and grab a bottle of water or run to the restroom or whatever uh, is going on during the game. And then once I'm good and settled, go grab a bite to eat, maybe walk around the ballpark, fraternize with my extremely talented uh, production team uh, and, you know, have a few laughs, get relaxed and loose and and ready for the game and uh, eat dinner, go through the scripts one last time. And then uh, usually at about quarter of that's that's when it's go time and, you know, get get ready for the the ceremonial first pitches and most importantly get ready for the starting lineups because that's that's my bread and butter that's when i really you know it's my time to shine because during the game i'm announcing batters and the players you know the the fans will react depending on you know who's doing well or who's the big name on the team but during starting lineups that's when there's that synergy and that's what i really feed off of you know that production uh that production team that you mentioned you can if you're on, if anybody's at City Field, there's actually a window you can look into it. It's a, it's an amazing. Not anymore. Oh no, so the window is gone. Yeah, oh. we had a full renovation during the off season oh. between 21 and 22, and it completely upgraded everything. We have new okay. uh, ribbons and graphic effects uh, throughout the ballpark. I mean, we we basically every wish was granted by Steve Cohen. So we have a brand new control room essentially uh my pa booth got renovated as well uh we have new intercoms new replay system new i mean everything and then next year we're going to get a new city vision as well which is going to be ultra hd 4k so because of that there was no room for a window anymore so we actually had to fill up the window so now we uh we just live in this dark room well they do i don't uh they live in this dark room of secrecy filled with screens and all sorts of amazing electronics just you know making the in-game experience what it is oh well i guess i was fortunate to see what they did before because i thought it was amazing <laughs> back then wow yeah yeah i, I was mean, like wait why are we if it ain't broke why why fix it and they're like you would be amazed at what technology is out there today and how antiquated what we have here is. I mean, there's certain frame rates that just wouldn't adjust to City Vision for uh, for HD, and we knew we could be better. And we're in a major market. We're in New York. There's no reason why we shouldn't be state of the art and you know give the fans something to really enjoy and be able to gawk at every minute of the game when, you know, baseball is a slow game. It just mm-hmm. is. So there's other ways to entertain the fans, and that's what we're striving for. Speaking of that, do you have any different approaches to get the crowd going? I mean, I know they have the crowd meter sometimes they put up there, but do you do anything that try to get the crowd going? I mean, for me, I it's the way I announce the the players' names. The away team gets no love at all. It's straight monotone. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was having fun with the Reds, and it was 
the first baseman, Joey Votto, you know, like this guy, <laughs> this schmuck. And I actually love Joey Votto. I think he's hilarious. Uh, we actually had some fun with him, some interactions with him on City Vision while he was coming up to bat. We were doing fun facts as he was walking up about Canada and he started reacting to them. It was a ball. So I love Joey Votto. That aside, for the Mets, it's, you know, always that extra oomph. You know, I'm never going to be like the first baseman, Pete Alonzo. You know, it's the first baseman, Pete Alonzo. And the crowd's like, yes, we love him. And I'm like, me too. And we're all in it together. That being said, if the Mets are down 14 to two in the third inning, I'm not going to be yelling the players' names. I'll still give it some oomph, but I'm going to back off of it because no one wants to hear an enthusiastic PA announcer when the Mets are getting crushed. But boy, do they want that when we're doing well. Yeah. Is there a difference when you announce in a empty stadium compared to a full stadium? Do you, uh, you know, do you get any feedback or anything uh, from the the empty stadium that you would that that you wouldn't? In I guess I'm looking for a noise thing, you know. Right. I mean, it's uh, I, I and I know all about empty stadiums. Uh, 2020, August and September of 2020, yeah. we had cardboard cutouts and we had uh, crowd noises filtered in and you know it it was i i again our production crew is incredible uh dj razor who's our our ballpark dj who supplies all the music that you hear um he will sometimes record crowd sounds the let's go mets chants or reactions that they have to specific things going on in game he was able to take those isolate them and put them into our crowd noise so we had reactions in real time so I was treating it like I would any other job. Was I going over the top? No. Uh, but, you know, I was still doing the monotone for an empty, you know, uh, for the the opposing team in an empty stadium and the oomph for the home team in an empty stadium. Uh, but if we have a small crowd in the ballpark, I'm, no reason, you know, you're not going to tell Pete Alonzo back off because we only have 12 people in the in the stands. <laughs> I'm not going to back off because we only have 12 people in the stands. Uh, so, no, I will I will approach it with the the same oomph and and pizzazz and and energy that I would with uh, 45,000 or 4,500. It, it must be fun to be there during this season as opposed to the last four or five seasons that you began with. This is just a hell of a season this year. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing to it, I'd say, was August of 2019, and we were on quite a tear. We started playing excellent baseball post-All-Star break, and I remember there was a series right around now. I think it was the 8th, 9th, and 10th, or 9th, 10th, and 11th. It was a weekend series against the Washington Nationals, and we took two or three against them, and it was you know, it was electric. I mean, the crowd was into it. We had one walk off, one really tight game that was shut down by Seth Lugo. And uh, I think we lost the uh, the matinee on Sunday. But those two games were just insane. I've not experienced it to this frequency that uh, we have this season. I mean, as I said, having 36,000 fans in the stands for a one o'clock game against uh, one of the bottom three teams in Major League Baseball is unprecedented to me at least mm. you know yeah this is an amazing stretch to to have the, the the crowd you know what it comes down to is Mets fans and with good reason we have we have every reason in the world to you know be downtrodden or to wait for the other shoe to drop you know or something's <laughs> going to go wrong mm -hmm. and this season it's not happening and the last chance anyone had to gripe was on the trade deadline. They're like, wait, so we're not getting proper middle relief? Well, Michael Givens is is solid. He was having a good season. Is he David Robertson? No, but I mean, solid acquisition. But we went after 
uh, making sure that our offense, you know, should it stall at all, we have different role players that can jump in. And if you were to ask any Met fan right now, who's your favorite player, they're going to say Daniel Vogelback for mm-hmm. a number of reasons, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> other than the fact that the man does not look like a professional athlete, runs faster than most people I've seen in Major League Baseball, and is just a, a character, like he's a lovable Yesterday, we were celebrating uh, Women's Day at, at the ballpark. So all of the players came up to bat with a female artist. His was Milkshake by Khalees. And the crowd went nuts. I mean, it went viral. Everyone's like, my God, here here comes this big boy up to bat to Milkshake. My Milkshake, you know, brings all the boys to the yard. And, and there's Daniel Vogelback. And it was just, it was incredible. So uh, this season, for myriad reasons, is is feeling great. But, you know, I, it's people are starting to take notice. Edwin Diaz in his entrance. Edwin Diaz has been lights out. Edwin Diaz should be in the conversation for the Cy Young. Uh, he's He's been incredible. And he has the best walkout since Mariana yes. Rivera. Yeah. And now yes. that we're doing well and we're finally getting some love on the back pages and on SportsCenter, people are starting to take notice. And now Edwin Diaz and his entrance has gone viral. So, you know... Even the trade de- trade deadline has been swept under the rug. Uh, d- does anyone remember that we had a lockout to begin the season? Yeah, no, I know, right? <laughs> because no. victory winning is the number one band aid, as my 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 buddy right. Michael K would say. That is that's the miracle elixir. Winning does it all, and that's what's happening right now. The Mets universe is happy. I'm happy. The crowds are there, and as in a PA announcer, I'm loving every minute oh, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I was an intern for the Mets many many moons ago. And one of my responsibilities was to tell the PA announcer at the time any changes made during a game, like a pinch hitter or a defensive replacement. I had to do that because he did not keep score of the game. I assume that keeping score is now a requirement for the position? Not necessarily. The gentleman who preceded me, Alex Anthony, who is a, a Mets legend for 17 years, he did it pretty much on his own. I mean, you would get some supportive views in the middle of a read, but you know, that there's a, a certain type of brain that can do it. Uh, I do have a spotter. His name is Nick, uh, Nick Bafardi. He is an exceptionally talented uh, cameraman, editor. He does, he has his day job uh, doing a myriad things, including uh, wedding photography. Like he's all over the place, but by night he comes in and he's my spotter. Fortunately, we've also become very good friends as well. So we have a lot of fun in the booth, but when it comes down to business, if I'm doing a read and we've got a pinch runner, someone's warming in the bullpen and a pinch hitter comes in, he's going to be on top of that. He'll feed me that information, keep me honest. And then I'm able to relay that to the crowd. So I do have a spotter. His name is Nick, you know, and uh, I've had to do the job without him a couple of times. I was able to get by, but barely, I mean, it is, it's tough because mm-hmm. there's a lot going on, a lot to pay attention to. And, you know, once, once you start working in the game, unless you've played it at a high level, you don't really realize all the subtle nuances of it and trying to come up with your own predictive analytics is tough enough. Uh, you know, who would be the next pitcher to come in just trying to get ahead of the game so that if that does happen and I'm in the middle of a big read or something's going on, you know, you're, you're just trying to be one step ahead. So thank, thankfully for, uh, for Nick, who uh, Matasol Castro calls the ninja because he's just so like <laughs> sneaky good. He, Case in point, one quick story on players, or no, on uh, Jackie Robinson Day in 2018, uh, they were just kind of testing him out as a spotter. And on that day, everyone is wearing 42. And not all the players have their their names on the back of their jerseys either. I think it's just 42 across the board. 
he noticed there was one defensive change in the left field. I wasn't working this game. And he noticed there was something different. And he grabbed his binoculars and said, we got a defensive change. Left fielder just came in. We've got a replacement, blah, blah, blah. And boom, they were like, okay, this kid is good. Gave him the job. And uh, now he works all 81 home games. Nice, nice. Have you ever had an... A player come up to you and say, hey, I didn't like the way you said my name or I don't pronounce it that way. I pronounce it this way. Anything have happened like that? Uh, no, not for me specifically and not for Matasol from from what I can tell. I do remember Pete Alonso's his rookie season. He wanted to know uh, who who brought him the better luck, you know, where how his batting average was based on when I was announcing <laughs> versus Matasol. Um, and yeah, that, that was, that was about it. I did get a note the other day. Uh, and I think this was when the, the Mets were away in Atlanta. I think someone pronounced it Vogel Bach and which I'm sure, you know, many generations ago, that was the correct pronunciation, but it's Vogel back. So he wanted to make sure that, that we had that down as well. We already did, but, um, but otherwise, no, we'll just go by the prono chart. And, uh, sometimes the PR for the other team will pop in and just say, Hey, just want to make sure you've got this name, this name, this name. But, uh, yeah, no, I've not gotten in, in any trouble with any of the players. Luckily. I got a question from my uh, co-host, Len, who's uh, obviously not here today, but he says, it's obvious that you have a famous last name and people will say it, it will open doors for you. Others sometimes say it makes it difficult. Has the Coastal name helped you or hindered you in your career and what impact has it had? I mean, it, it opened some doors, sure, but it definitely came with some additional expectations, you know, uh, and those expectations were never going to be met, no matter how hard I tried. And you know what? I, I don't want to. There can be only one Howard Cosell. There should mm -hmm. be only one Howard Cosell. You know, my, my voice is just nasally enough. And, you know, my New York accent is very, very vague, if there at all. Then again, I was born and raised in Stanford, Connecticut. But, uh, you know, my grandfather was a lawyer. And he was brilliant at, at being a lawyer. He was brilliant as a broadcaster. He went into broadcasting when he was 38. I got my job with the Mets when I was 38. Uh, and his first job, by the way, was uh, first big league job was covering the Mets in 1962. So that's where the parallels begin and end. The expectations were never going to be met also because my background is in theater. I have an affinity for radio. I did stand-up comedy for years. I am a 42-year-old child. He was a consummate professional. So if people were able to get beyond that, then I was getting work. But you know, I'm very happy with the way my career turned out. I was a sports broadcaster for years, and I still do it you know, here and there. But being a PA announcer and being able to do my day job as well, I could not be happier. And it, it's perfect for me. So uh, open doors, yes. Added expectations, definitely. And for the people that were willing to say, hey, he's not going to be the next Cosell, but he's good enough for me. Good. I'll take that. You do more than baseball, right? Aren't you still the voice of the New York Riptide? Yeah, I do the New York Riptide and uh, occasionally fill in for the Brooklyn Cyclones, the high A affiliate for the Mets. But uh, but yeah, I uh, do the, the indoor box lacrosse at Nassau Coliseum, which is a blast. Uh, completely different from the Mets completely unscripted, uh, unhinged. Uh, that's where I get to in, invoke some of my stand-up comedy past. I am encouraged to antagonize the opposition during the game. <laughs> like That is part of the job description. And I am talking the entire time. DJ Razor, who I mentioned from the Mets, he also does the Riptide. We play off of each other. He has music playing the entire time. It's basically one big party 
with a lacrosse match going on with these guys beating the piss out of each other on turf in a hockey rink. It, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but, but yeah, no, I've started branching out into to other PA gigs as well. Uh, Gary, I got to go to a Riptide game now. That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah, dude, it is insane. Crazy, it's nuts. It? <laughs> it is so irreverent and unorthodox. And yeah, uh, if I did a, a, one iota of what I do at Riptide games at City Field, I'd be fired on the spot. I'm sure that you've gotten this question a thousand times, but do, but do people ask you to imitate your grandfather at all? Um, yeah, and with good reason. I do the best imitation of my grandfather of anyone ever, you know, and that's something I, I, you know, take great pride in. And but yeah, people, people will do it. Sometimes it'll be like upon meeting them, and I'm like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes here. Let's get to know each other a little bit you know, <laughs> first before you turn me into your dancing monkey. Let's not, uh, let's not do that. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do it all the time, and and have uh, zero problem with it. And I have a feeling that's what's coming up next. <laughs> you know what? I, I did see a video of you introducing uh, Tim McCarver in your grandfather's yeah. voice. That was amazing. Yeah, McCarver heard I did a killer imitation of my grandfather, and he's being inducted to the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. I do the uh, the voice of God for that ceremony uh, every year at the uh, the New York Hilton uh, each December. And when I got there uh, for the day of, they said, "Hey, uh, Tim McCarver wants you to introduce him as your grandfather." And I said, okay. And they said, but he wants you to mock him. I'm like, I have not met Tim McCarver. I am not comfortable (laughs) doing that without meeting Tim McCarver. All right, you'll meet him first. Didn't get a chance to meet him first. So my assumption was I was going to introduce him from my little uh, lectern off, off to the side of the stage and just, you know, bring him up as I would, you know, for any of the inductees. He all of a sudden calls me out on the stage with him, and I'm like, I, I'm not ready for this. So he uh, he had me do the the imitation and and mock him, and uh, and do the imitation of my grandfather uh, uh, mocking him, and and I did, and uh, and it was a lot of fun, and and yeah, Tim Tim was he was he was awesome, and so uh, and that was also the first time we met was on that stage, so you know that was uh, a little nerve wracking, but a, a ton of fun, and, and the reactions from it have been tremendous. And if anybody wants to see that, just Google Colin Cosell and there's one of the videos. It was just, it was amazing. And you know, Carol Cosell is obviously one of the uh, two greats uh, of broadcasting. Uh, Colin, we only have a few more minutes. I thank you for your time. I noticed that during this pandemic season, you do the very nice thing by providing free recordings. That's very nice to you. I know some other PA announcers did that. I mean, I, I had one done by uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs announcer, and it was it was terrific. Uh, I just want to say that was very, very nice of you to do. Well, thank you. Uh, that's very, very kind of you. I, it was something that I, I tried doing, trying to, uh, in 2018, after my first season, trying to just kind of uh, get in the good graces of Mets fans who were still, you know, missing Alex Anthony and justifiably so. Um, and I was like, hey, you know what? I'll record um, for your your little kid or uh, for your aging parent who's been a diehard Mets fan their whole lives. There's a walk up for them the same way I do it in the stadium. Uh, then came the pandemic and, you know, baseball was shut down. I was completely out of work at that point. And so I was like, hey, why don't we do something that's going to, you know, have this kind of symbiosis where uh, and catharsis as well, where, you know, for me. I'll be doing what I do, which is announcing P 
people's names. And for you, it'll be a, a bit of the ballpark brought home for you, but personalized. And, um, you know, at first it was just a few people here and there, and then it just blew up and 1200 people later, it was, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was an incredible experience and extremely humbling. Uh, the reactions were just, I mean, at times brought me to tears. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun and just trying to bring some light to what was an extraordinarily dark time. And, mm-hmm. um, and thank goodness it, it resonated. Yep. Gary, I have one more question, but I'll leave one uh, last one for you. Uh, I'm I'm good. Uh, I just wanted to take the, uh, a second to thank Colin for taking his time and coming on with us. And uh, Jeff, you, you wrap it up. Okay. My pleasure, Gary. Thank you, Colin. Uh, just uh, any advice for anybody coming up in, in in the field that wants to get into public address announcing or broadcasting? Um, the the three things I always say to um, I can't believe I'm at the age where I'm saying this. Or I say to to the kids out there. I'm still still having a tough time with 42, but uh, I, I always tell them, first of all, networking is key. And if the, the person you idolize and you reach out to treats you like crap, well, they weren't worth your time. Find a new idol. But uh, but networking is is definitely key. Uh, the next thing is, you know, hone in on a couple of things. Be really great at a couple of things or one or be like extraordinarily great at one great you know, one thing. But be good at other things. Be versatile. Be a Swiss Army knife. If you can get some video editing skills in there or uh, audio skills or anything that pertains to or is a, a cog in the wheel of a live sports production, you know, get those skills there because you could land a job as an editor during games uh, doing instant replay. But you find out there's a PA gig or an opening, you know, for a sideline reporter or something you're there, you know, and, and a lot of organizations would love to hire from within. Uh, so being versatile is key. And last, but certainly not least, be a good person. Don't be a schmuck. Uh, be nice to people. You know, you never know what, what's going on in their lives. You don't know what they're up against. And, uh, just because they're a little different from you doesn't mean you have to treat them any differently. Just be a good person. That's great advice. Colin, thank you so much. It's been a great half hour. We learned a lot, and uh, I had a great time, and appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, thanks, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Greatly appreciate it, and um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets, yes. I'll, <laughs> I'll see you at City Field. You got it, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and if you want a lip-smacking, finger-licking good podcast, then you got to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Len and Jeff. They have the best guests and the best recipes on all the internet. So check it out, Baseball and BBQ. And we want to thank Colin for taking time out to be on baseball and BBQ. He was a fun interview and he really does do a great impression of his grandfather, which you really got to check out on YouTube. Jeff, I thought you guys were terrific. I told you that before, but I'm ripping up my resume. Oh, good. And I'm going to tell you why. So now we have one half of the Mets, the city field. PA announcers, right? You've got Colin Costell. He does half the games. And the other person is, give me the name. Marisol Castro. Right. And of course, the Yankee games is Paul Olden. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, when we had Paul Olden, I specifically said to Paul, Jeff is a huge baseball fan. Can you please 
introduce him. And what did Paul Olden do? He did he very, did your intro. Very nice of him. Yes. You know, I, he's now batting whatever and playing that. It's Jeff Cohen, right? Okay. Nothing. You didn't ask Colin Cosell I know, to do that. I know. Maybe you should fire me. Well, I'm not firing you because you did a great job, but I have to tell you, you do need me. I I, I am not going anywhere. So the resume is ripped up. I'm sorry, all those other podcasts that I mentioned, but you're not going to get my services. Okay, Okay. that's it. (laughs) And if you want to reach the show, you give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Make a comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet, tweet, tweet. At Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, <laughs> Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And please rate and review us. Episode 150. Jeff, it is a big deal to hit 150, right? Yes. We have some people to thank that I think have helped us get to 150. We have Barbecue Buddha, barbecuebuddha.com, Ray Sheehan, phenomenal rubs and sauces and his cookbooks. Ray's restaurant's going to be opening soon. We'll have more information on that. Baseballbbq.com for their great grilling tools and accessories. The Pandemic Baseball Book Club. 150. This is not going to be an episode where we thank people. We'll wait till episode 200. No, you know what? We'll wait till our five year anniversary in December. Right. Okay. Exactly. So, but Jeff, what do we have coming up next? We have Yaffe Lavova, author, dietitian, and my niece. She talks about cooking and grilling with kids and things like that. And she is going to be on right now. So here is. Yaffe Lavova. Yaffe Lavova is a registered dietitian, has a motto, eat happy and make laughter your mealtime soundtrack. She is the owner of Baby Bloom Nutrition and holds degrees in both comparative religions and nutrition and dietetics from Arizona State University, a mom to three boys, and they have a great time cooking together. Yaffe is here today to talk about how to grill over live fire cooking as a family activity. She's also an expert on making children respectful of the tools of the trade when it comes to cooking. And she's a pretty darn good chef herself. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Yaffe Lavova. Hi, Yaffe. Welcome, Yaffe. Thanks so much, Uncle Jeff. And nice to meet you, Len. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Jeff. Yes, the cat is out of the bear. (laughs) Yaffe is my niece. So, Yaffe, you have been a dietitian for quite a while now and you have a successful business with baby bloom nutrition so tell us about how you got started with in, in with food well when i was born i got hungry ah. and that's how i got started <laughs> <laughs> i like Jeff, yeah, but- she has a sense of humor yes how could she be your she can't be related to you <laughs> <laughs> she's funny yes she is <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it it, it does illustrate the point, though, that everyone's involved with food from the moment they're born on upwards. So um, I always found food interesting and it related to culture. And as you know, my first degree was in comparative religions, actually religious studies. But I changed it to comparative religions because people thought that 
I was training and being a missionary or something. And that's definitely, I mean, if you know me, that's really laughable. So I, I went back for nutrition because I think that really, those are the two things that really define a culture, their religion and their food and how they deal with their food. And very often there's overlap. So I went back to become a dietitian and I finished that and um, I was just working in the hospital. And then my, my kids basically told me what to do with my life by throwing a bunch of obstacles at me. You're really also, I, I don't, you don't have a degree in teaching, but you teach how to cook using the children using the tools in the kitchen and, you know, the shop tools. So you, you, you really know how to relate to them and how to, you know, have them use the tools. So could you give us some secrets on how, how that came about? Yeah. Well, some things, my boys came first, two of them at the same time. And, you know, that was a lot. And there were some things that anyone before getting into parenting says there are certain things that they would never do. You know, like I would never get a minivan. I definitely did. But I think you have more of that when there are twins because you have fewer options. You know, there's like that much less mental space to deal with anything that needs to be dealt with. So the kids wanted to cook with me and I just kind of put up with it, you know, and I realized it was a really fun way to all be together and to introduce them to a new sound in the kitchen or a new color or a new smell. And they just really responded well to that. And we just had fun doing that. So um, it, it turned into something bigger when I met the director of the Halley Hart Children's Museum in Tempe, Arizona. Now that museum is unfortunately defunct, but there was a, uh, a commercial kitchen for kids. And I just looked at that and, and Toddler Test Kitchen was born. And so now I'm using that in a therapeutic way as well. There's therapeutic cooking for kids who, have, who are selective, um, who won't eat a whole lot of different options. And then there's cooking together just for fun and for culture and for just sharing values. And that's why I'm on here today. All right. <laughs> Yaffe, you talked about food and cultures. Cooking over a live fire is something that, of course, here, you know, barbecue is specific, you know, has a way of cooking and things like that. But cooking over a live fire with within cultures is something that every culture seems to share, whether they're doing the low and slow with large cuts of meat, whether they're doing kebabs, whether whatever it is, there seems to be that, you know, the, the same thing among cultures. Is that something that you've looked into or seen or learned about? Yeah, for sure. It's the most basic form of cooking. It's the way that we could start cooking. We had fire and that was it. And you know what? Some stuff tastes really good when roasted over a live fire. And so stop developing at that point. And <laughs> why should it develop further than that? You know, you got the fire, you got the meat. What else do you need? So that's it's interesting bringing up kebabs specifically because there's this whole fight even within like just within the Jewish food realm between Ashkenazi food and Sephardic food and Mizrahi food. And those you know, most people in America know about Ashkenazi food. They know about, you know, noodle kugel and bagels and lox and, and all of that, but they don't know about the kebabs, about the North African influence, about the, the Mizrahi kebabs. It's, there's a lot of that from those regions. And so it's interesting when, when we talk about representation, because there was a lot of bleed over as well during Soviet times. 
when all of the Istan countries with their, you know, the, the Caucasus regions all became part of the USSR and they had cultural influences from all kinds of different places. And so at that point, kebabs became part of some of the Ashkenazi culture. And so when I have kebabs on my table, I have the left of the table is Ashkenazi and the right of the table is Sephardic. And you've got the kebabs right in the middle as the linchpin, you know, the, the meat over the live fire that brings everything together. Do you, and, and with, with your husband and your now three boys, do you do any communal cooking over in, in the barbecue over, or over live fire in your backyard or, or wherever you take them, whether camping or vacation, whatever? Yeah, I, I would love to take them camping. I would love to um, have the guts to take them camping. I can camp. I don't know how they <laughs> react. But my husband really is in charge of the grill in the backyard. It's not something that I'm very confident with. And I know that he has taken them back there and shown how to turn meat and how to you know brush on sauce and all of that. But what we have done together as a family was when we were invited to a friend's house to cook plov in a, in a kazan, which is an Uzbeki dish. And it's associated with the, the, the Bukharian Jews. And there, there are large communities of Bukharian Jews in different places, but there's the center of that. They came from Bukhara, Uzbekistan. And it's, it's a communal dish that you make. And it's in this pot that's over a fire. It's a special uh, contraption. And it's so interesting. And everyone just sits around and you stir it every so often. And then when it's done, you eat it. And, you know, there's vodka involved in the meantime. It's just, it's, it's great to have that communal aspect. And that's, that's what I try to get with my kids in the kitchen, even trying to make muffins, is that communal aspect. When your husband's in the backyard, what is he cooking over? Is, is he cooking, is it charcoal? What does he have going? He's gone back and forth. I think at this point, he's got gas. I think that there is knowledge out there to be had. <laughs> I have to make some more visits to Chandler, Arizona to. Uh, yeah, there there was a recent rib disaster, which oh. was really unfortunate. Oh. It's not easy to get kosher ribs. Yeah, well, yeah please uh, share that. We, uh, I have often talked about my cooking disasters on yes. this show. I call them confession. It's good for the soul. Jeff doesn't really like to confess about any of his, I guess he's, he doesn't have any, but go ahead. Tell us about the rib disaster. You know what? I, I will replace it with a different disaster because oh. that disaster was my husband's and I am all up for sharing my own disasters. <laughs> so I will tell you about an issue with, there was lamb involved and I am not a fan of lamb. I've tried. It just has a flavor I don't like. Okay. And I think it's fairly common, you know, but we got this meat from the local kosher butcher and nothing was labeled. And <laughs> I told my husband, I need to have some labels on it. It has to at least say the cooking method, you know, right crock pot on it. I'm good. Then we'll know not to put it on the grill. Uh, but there was there were these cuts of lamb and they sat in the freezer and I didn't know what they were. And eventually I decided that's got to be beef. And I got this this recipe for this Chinese type of thing. And and I was I was doing it and I had the cast iron pan and and it was going really well until 
it's lamb and did not go with that sauce. And apparently you're not supposed to put that kind of dressing on lamb anyway. And well, it was disappointing. Well, Everybody the, was disappointed. Had, oh, the boys didn't like it? It might have been before them. <laughs> oh, okay. A long time ago then. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so I don't have so many kitchen fails. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, and kosher meat is expensive. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, lamb, it does make for very good uh, kebabs, though. Very good skewers. Some chunks of lamb. Very simple, you know, to cook. Lamb doesn't need a lot of sauce or whatever to cook it. But lamb is a very, very popular meat, but definitely a distinctive flavor. So I could see if you don't like it, it's not like you're going to like it one way and not another. You definitely will not like lamb. So, but what do you like to cook? Uh, what kind of meat do you enjoy? I I got into, um, I got into brisket because, mm-hmm. because brisket, um, I go with kind of a Southern flavor because I'm down here in Arizona and we've got access to some good chilies. So mm-hmm. my, okay. my brisket is, yeah, it's good, but I've been interested. There's um, a chef I follow, Michael Twitty, and I learned a lot about the history of barbecue from him, but he's got a, I think it's a Senegalese brisket recipe that people are talking about it. So I'm going to have to check that out. Maybe it's just West African in general. I don't know. Now you're cooking the whole brisket, the the, the point and the, the flat and the point, the whole thing. You know what? Honestly, it's so limited here. I get, I, I just take what comes in that Trader Joe's sealed bag and dump it in the crock pot. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I take what I can get. <laughs> That's a very, what a method. I dump it in the crock pot. That's my style of cooking. You know, I got to learn how to use the grill though, but yeah, that that's my style because I like to hang out with people. I don't want to be trapped in the kitchen making something complicated when I can be hanging out with people, you know, and that's like, I was thinking about this earlier when I was thinking about coming, you know, what we would talk about. And I remember when I was little, you know, back to kebabs, I remember having parties on the deck at my parents' house in Huntington, Uncle Jeff, you remember. And my dad would sometimes make kebabs. And my favorite part of the kebab was the the pepper and sometimes the small tomato, like a like a grape tomato, or maybe it's slightly bigger, and how they roast and how they taste. But he wasn't out there just cooking and everyone was inside. You know, if you look at any deck or any barbecue area, it's designed to be a social area. Mm-hmm. It's, it's designed to have people coming together and you know, watching what you're doing and being a helicopter chef. Yaffe, if you want to uh, give your husband something to do all day, have him barbecue a brisket. That'll take <laughs> 12 hours, depending on the size of the of the meat. But yeah, it'll definitely keep him busy. <laughs> and oh, yeah. you won't keep him busy, it'll just, the meat will go slow and, and whatnot, but uh, they'll have to keep checking it. Yeah, we're still working on the idea that different cuts of meat take different cooking methods and it doesn't sometimes you can't just cut it up a certain way and you just you just can't sub in different cuts of meat right are you going to encourage the boys to uh start cooking on the barbecue yeah okay yeah definitely they're they're getting um well every day they're taller than i thought they were before (laughs) almost as tall as me now so you know that's that's tall enough for them you know they're not 
there's live fire, but it's not like you get into the fire. I wouldn't leave them in the backyard alone with the girl, but I would definitely give them some direction and watch them and allow them to be independent. Yeah, they should, they should try to uh, experiment uh, using yeah. cooking. Absolutely. Yeah, they can experiment as long as we've got my meat thermometer and it mm-hmm. reads the safe temperature. <laughs> Do you think it should be cooked longer? Okay, great. Not less time. It's chicken. <laughs> it's not, we don't serve it rare. <laughs> but letting them cook, it, it just, it gives them a huge confidence boost. And they take that, that ego boost that they get and they take it out of the kitchen. They take it into the classroom. They take it to the playground. And it, it really helps them to get through the day feeling better about themselves. It's amazing how just an adult stepping back and giving them that trust can have such a large impact on, on their whole day. The other thing with, you know, we're talking about meats, but of course there's a whole nother uh, vegetables are, are terrific on a grill and um, fruits are great on a grill. So pineapple, peaches, bananas, desserts, you know, a grilled pound cake, you know, you, you slice up some pound cake, you put a little butter on it and you put that on the grill, get some nice char on it. And then, you know, you can even put some, you know, I was going to say cool whip, you know, <laughs> cream on it, yeah, ice cream on the grill. Yeah. That, yeah that's work. <laughs> no, actually, you know, speaking of ice cream, it's funny because Stephen Reichlin, who, who was a guest on the show, has a book. I can't reference which one he has so many, but it might be a barbecue around the world. I forget the book exactly, but he has a grilled ice cream recipe. Now I tried it once with my son. You know, you talk about cooking with kids. My son was a lot younger then and we tried it. It did not work well. It, it was a failure, but we had so much fun by watching the ice cream as it, you know, went down in the grates, wasn't great, but, but it was fun to do. And it's still something that we talk about to this day is remember when we tried to grill ice cream. So you can do it. According to Stephen Reichland, we just weren't successful. See, and that's the thing you, you weren't successful, but weren't successful means that you have a story that you're still yeah. laughing about, that you're right. still telling a moment that you're still enjoying with him. So that was the ultimate success. Exactly. I mean, as, as long as you had more ice cream, because otherwise <laughs> it's just a tragedy. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, uh, earlier about the uh, using a, a meat thermometer. And as a dietitian and nutritionist, it's very important to cook to uh, temperature. Yeah. Right. Uh, could, so you, could you explain why it, it's important to cook the temperature, whether it's being undercooked or overcooked? Yeah. So we had to take an entire class on food safety and then pass a specific food safety exam that was separate from the, the dietitian credential. So I've got it really stuck in my head. And the number one thing is don't eat pork. <laughs> It's funny, but any food service class will tell you that anything like, and and if you're taking a test about food safety, it's in the pork, it's in the pig. It's like, it carries all of the stuff. Anyway, that's the number one thing. So there's no safe temperature for pork because it carries all the stuff. (laughs) But um, yeah, so chicken, I know offhand is 165 because the bacteria that is commonly grown in chicken or growing on chicken 
is going to grow faster in a temperature that is under that safe temperature. So you want meat to be cooked to that temperature next to the bone or in the center if there's no bone, because then you know that enough heat has gotten through to kill the pathogenic bacteria that would likely make you sick. Now that's the safety thing. The other thing is that as someone who works with food and family dynamics, my number one complaint that I hear about meat is I don't know how to cook it. I over, I always overdo it. It's always dry. And so I usually say you need to get a meat thermometer just so that you stop cooking it sooner because that's the, I think that it really solves a lot of problems with cooking meat is just getting the temperature. It, it's so funny because there are so many things where they say, Oh, touch the meat and then put your hand between your, your thumb and your index finger. And no, right. there's a company called Thermoworks. They make meat thermometers. Yes. They make one that's more expensive than, than others, but they make one that's called the Thermopop. And if you look out on their website for sales, you could, you could basically get for, you know, maybe even under $30, this meat thermometer. And for anyone who's not using a meat thermometer, you're crazy. Uh, you know, they, I, I mean, okay. I know professional chefs and all that, even they will use meat thermometers. You're right. You, you got to cook to temperature. I have found though that chicken thighs, mm -hmm. because it's dark meat, you cook it to temperature. You can go beyond the 165 and you're not going to dry it out. Right. See, that's the thing with white meat on a chicken. You know, there's always the tendency to dry it out, especially boneless chicken breasts, which forget it. I, I, I don't even make those anymore, you know, but the chicken thighs are definitely you can go beyond the 165 and you don't have to worry. Yeah, it's because of the amount of fat. Usually they have the skin on. And I was even talking to some dietitian friends about this this week. Everyone is talking about, do you cook it with the skin on? I usually take it off myself after it cooks, just because I don't like the texture. Perfectly fine to eat it, but that's, that's what's going to keep it moist. And a chicken breast, even if you have the skin on, there's not that much skin relative to the amount of meat. And so it's not going to do that same job. Also, chicken breast starts out more dry. I have this conversation with parents a lot because a lot of kids refuse to eat meat. Well, it's likely because you're doing chicken breast and it's coming across really dry. If you switch to chicken thighs instead, a lot of people have more success that way for the exact reason you're talking about. And, you know, Len, you talked about the thermal pop and thermal pen. Lindsay has a brother and I told them to get this this thermometer and he told me it was a game changer. So it's okay. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. And, and we're not sponsored by them. We should be, but right. you know, but they have a, so which one did he get a thermal pen? Okay. Yeah. It's phenomenal. You know, it's a one-time investment. It's not like you have to buy, you know, you, you, it's not like you have to every year buy one. Uh, it's not like a grill brush that you're constantly changing. It's going to last you. Buy it at Walmart. You're going to have to buy another one soon. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But this thermo pop with, and you could bring it, you know, you could go to a barbecue, you know, while the person who's, who's grilling looks the other way, you can quickly <laughs> put it in the meat and say, I, I don't think it's done. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like mine done a little bit more. Please just <laughs> mine. Just, just do mine. <laughs> 
I mentioned vegetables. What about grilled eggplant? Do you have a good way to grill eggplant? You know what? Um, so you should ask me this ahead of time. I could have come prepared. I'm actually somewhat, I think I'm allergic to eggplant. Ah. So I don't have good recipes for eggplant, but generally it involves salting it and sweating it. Mm-hmm. For me, and any for any good eggplant recipe is then going to be dipped in batter and deep fried and then rolled oh. around ricotta. Huh. That's that's how I'm going to do eggplant. <laughs> I find with vegetables, you need to keep your keep your grill clean. Is your belief that you oil the cooking surface or you oil the food? I think it depends what you're working with. You know, it depends on the the surface area. Broccoli is going to stick to a grill very differently than pineapple would, for example. Mm -hmm. I've seen a method that's kind of safe across the board of taking thin lemon slices and laying it down and then putting the fruits or vegetables on top of that. And that would work for either fruits or vegetables. Yeah, but I I think it depends on, I usually do both. I don't go easy on the fat. Thing about the fruit is, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, when you grill fruit, it caramelizes, it brings out the sugars yeah. in fruit. So like grilled pineapple, it, yeah. it's funny because there's a show that that uh, the Barbecue Central show that is a podcast. And we love it. And they have a guest, a meathead. He says one of the best things to grill is pineapple and they give him a hard time. But grilled pineapple is very good for that very reason. It really concentrates the sugar in the fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And for that reason, you you would definitely want to start with a clean grill if you're doing pineapple. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to taste like pineapple and burnt barbecue sauce from, you know, if you want to do something creative like that, by all means. But if you don't want to do that by accident, then make sure you start with something clean for sure. And Lindsay, what about, you know, you're a nutritionist, right? So can you barbecue is barbecue is not considered to be the most nutritious food, but is it possible to, oh, I'm sorry. I, I said, Lindsay, I meant Yaffe. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff just said it's Yaffe, not Lindsay. I apologize. <laughs> is it possible to have barbecue nutritious, nu- nutritious barbecue? Okay. I'm going to go this angle with it. I don't mess with people's favorites. Okay. So I wouldn't take someone's favorite barbecue brisket and say, you're going to use less fat or less sauce or change the recipe because it's not the same thing. And it doesn't bring that same joy. I think that a very overlooked part of nutrition is that joy. So rather than messing with the dish, Maybe there's going to be an extra salad available that you can have on the side. You know, maybe you're going to be careful to hydrate the rest of the day. You're going to be really on top of it. You know, maybe you're going to have an extra piece of fruit. I'm not going to mess with the favorite. I think that I, I like to teach about six components of health and we only focus on physical. And when you, when you go to the doctor, you're focusing on the physical and if you go to your therapist, you're focusing on the mental and the emotional. And then you go to the, the rabbi and you focus on the spiritual. And the thing is that all of those are as important as physical health. So the act of participating in a family barbecue itself has benefits. And it's not something you're doing every day. 
you know, you're not having the family over every day to indulge in these foods. You'd get tired of that after a while. I mean, especially if you're the one having to cook and clean up and, you know, foot the bill, <laughs> never mind. But, but the very act of relaxing with your family and laughing together, that is healthy. That, that creates healthy family ties that creates, it supports your, your emotional well-being, your social well-being. And it's very connecting. That's something that we need. And I think after being isolated from each other for a couple of years, we know that more than ever, we need connection. And that's as valid as any changes that I would make. You know, I, I'm not undermining someone's joy of the moment by lowering the fat on their brisket. I like the way she thinks, Jeff. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say that's that's a terrific way to put it. I mean, I, that that's really great. So, Yaffe, you are the author of a couple of books. You want to talk about that? I mean, I got one right here. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fun with food. So why don't you uh, take this time and plug your, your cookbooks? Sure. So I did four cookbooks. Fun with Food Toddler Cookbook is one of them. And that one is one of my favorites because... It includes not only a recipe, but a, a non, non-cooking activity, like, like a playing activity that pairs well with the cooking. And that one's actually on sale at Five Below right now. It's all across the U.S. You can go to Five Below and get it for $5. Not the location near me. I cleared them out. <laughs> <laughs> you bought but your I'm own really- book? Yes. Yeah. It's cheaper <laughs> than my publisher charges me. So, yeah, I bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> now which way which one is that jeff that, that's at five below yeah fun with food children's cookbook yes. okay yep so it's got 30 recipes and 30 corresponding activities like you know can you oh we have spinach can you be a pirate with your spinach can you pay rabbit with your spinach you know fun things like that but i wrote two books for baby food if you're doing baby led weaning or if you're doing um, puree method, either of those is safe. Don't believe the hype. Everything's fine. <laughs> so I wrote one book for each of those and also one book that's aimed at new readers to be completely independent. And that one is Kids Chef Jr. And that those are on Amazon. And then there's Beyond a Bite, which is activities um, that you can do with your child who's on the spectrum. That's great. To help familiarize food. Yeah. That is Excellent. So you have four, four cookbooks, four cookbooks. And then, yeah. And then four other ones that are other focused. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you are the prolific author. <laughs> I, I had, um, I had a lot of focus in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot of free time, I guess. Right. Oh, I wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> homeschooling. Okay. Uh, uh, intentional homeschooling. And you also have a, a website if you want to tell people where to go to uh, find out or to contact you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Babybloomnutrition.com. And you can email me at yafi at babybloomnutrition.com. I'm speaking on all kinds of things coming up this month. I um, Well, we're talking about September. I'm not sure when this is actually going to drop. But I do all kinds of things on um, Jewish food history as well as family food dynamics and doing something on breastfeeding and infant sleeping patterns. So yeah. And stay tuned. I also keep doing, I also doing the, the Facebook lives or the Instagram that I've seen you on before. 
I haven't done them in a while, but I get on sporadically. Um, that's Naptime Nutrition, and you can find that at naptimenutrition.com or through my website, babybloomnutrition.com. And I've got a YouTube station with over 180 videos on parenting and nutrition, and about 30 of those have gone to podcast, which is also Naptime Nutrition. Excellent. So, Yaffe, the, the family now, okay, Uncle Jeff is a famous podcaster. How, how does that, you know, how does the family feel about having such a famous podcaster in the family? <laughs> well, it's really daunting. You know, every time he comes to town, we've got to really, we've got to prepare. We roll out the red carpet. Mm. We get the paddy wagon all ready. Yeah. Do, do, yeah, the paddy wagon. Do, do you find that, I think, I think this fame sometimes goes to his head. Do you find that, that he'll, you know, you have to bring him down a little, a peg or two, because he, he is famous now. You know, he's waited a long time for this level of fame. So exactly. we really just try to turn our heads and just keep buying hats in larger sizes and just, <laughs> and just go with it and say, you know, he deserves this. He deserves it. I, I tell you, though, her father doesn't let me hear the grill. It's his grill. He will just it, his grill. I can't go near it. So, wow. but he makes a pretty mean chicken, you know, for the families when there's when we're all together. There's actually a lot of food that he cooks on, on the grill, which we all enjoy. Well, you are welcome to come to my house, and I'm sure you will have a piece of the grill. <laughs> Thank you, Yaffe. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Jeff. When 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 I go to Jeff's house for a barbecue, Jeff has no problem handing me the spatula, the tongs and saying, here you go. I'm going in the pool. Sign <laughs> of respect. Yeah. He's, uh, he's very quick. Actually. He's like, I've been waiting here. Yeah, <laughs> There's no problem. But, but Jeff is quite the, quite the cook. He really is. So after these barbecues, do you send, do you send him an invoice? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Barbecue season here is year round. Exactly. Some people say that about Arizona, but uh, we got those three months over the summer that I, I'm just inside sipping my seltzer. What's the most common, what's the most popular thing to cook in Arizona, you know, on a grill? Oh, I don't know. People are starting to get pretty adventurous. You know, it's, it's interesting to see the Internet's impact on food culture and how it used to take 30 years for a recipe to travel from one end of the world to another. And now it's not even 30 seconds. So I, I can't say I even know at this point what my neighbors are grilling. I know, I know the guy next door is very particular with his wood. We know that he's grilling mesquite, you know, you can go outside and smell and you can differentiate between. Um, so I'm sure that he would have a lot to say when I hear people talking about it, it's really just steaks. Now, is, Yaffe, Yaffe, when you talk about steaks, are there is kosher steak and is there non-kosher steak, and you know what 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 differentiates them? Well, it has to do with first the area of the cow. So the back end of the cow, because of the sciatic nerve, is not kosher. However, there are certain certain kosher butchers who know how to remove the sciatic nerve. I think mostly from from Yemenite communities, as far as I know. And so they can make a kosher filet mignon and it's perfectly kosher, but I imagine it's extremely expensive. <laughs> so it's 
from that front hip forward, everything is kosher, but then there has to be a kosher slaughter as well, which is done by someone who's trained enough in it and with the appropriate prayer. I could get into the specifics of the slaughter, but I don't know if that's the direction you expected. <laughs> we'll leave that to the slaughterhouse podcast. So we're, 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 yeah. <laughs> we could leave the bloody part there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so we have, we, we order food from, there's a place called Nosh in Las Vegas. And they have pretty good prices and great products and they send the stuff out and it's all still frozen when it gets here. And that's how we subsist. Now you mentioned uh, mesquite. Is that, uh, is mesquite a a popular wood in, uh, in Arizona? Is there a lot of it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty popular, especially because it grows here. I'm not sure natively, a lot of things that grow here weren't native, but the mesquite, mesquite is everywhere here. And especially after some of these big storms we get, the dust storms or the, the monsoons, these trees sometimes will, you know, drop branches. And why not? It smells amazing. It imparts a really subtle smoky flavor to the food. I'm not really one for a smoky flavor. I mean, I think I'm good with, with real smoke, but not like smoke flavor. Anyway, it's it, that smoke is really beautiful. Well, Yaffe, it was a pleasure having you on. I'm going to be out there for Thanksgiving. Two trips this year to Arizona, so that, that's nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We look forward to seeing you. My son still names after everything after you. Oh, great. <laughs> and don't forget Yaffe Lilova books on, on Amazon. Check out the website, babybloomnutrition.com, correct? Yes. Okay, excellent. And Yaffe, thank you so much for being on Baseball and BBQ. Thank you, Yaffe. We really- thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Jeff, how could that be your niece? Know, She's right? so nice. I know she is. So much. Yes, I know. I mean, she was great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know what? Even if you weren't Jeff's niece, we would want you on this show. <laughs> you were terrific. You yeah. were great. Jeff, we're getting very close to the playoffs. Yes, we very are. Close. The baseball season is winding down. Do you have anything you would like to say before we end the show? Well, it's going to come down to the wire for our New York Mets. They, uh, the, it's, it's going to come down to the last week, week uh, end of the series when they play Atlanta. I think it's in Atlanta. Jeff, I was talking to I, I was talking to Bill Chuck, and uh, who people will know from other episodes, and Bill Chuck was saying that it was essential that the Mets win their division. They were one team that it's going to make a huge difference if they win their division. His point was that the Mets with their pitching are very dependent on the first two, DeGrom and Scherzer. His feeling is that after that is a big drop off. If they don't get the buy in, and they have to play the first round, they're going to use up DeGrom and Scherzer, and they're not going to be able to start with them in the next series. Well, what I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with, with Mr. Chuck for one second. I think, I don't think there's a big drop off to, to Chris Bassett. I think he's a very good pitcher. I agree with you. And I actually said that. Okay. Bassett, I don't think there is a drop, but then what? Then there's a drop. (laughs) But see, 
I don't think that I think all the teams pretty much are, are they all solid one through five? No, Every of course team? not. No, no. Uh, the problem is with, with our Mets, they're very streaky and they will mm-hmm. they, they don't have consistent hitting like the Braves do. Uh, right. You know, they have uh, they, they're, they're very good at times and then they'll just go in a little low and they, they, they won't be able to hit at all. So they, they got to start hitting at, at the opportune time now. You know, you know, Travis Darno, who used to bounce around the league. Of course, he gets hot when he gets older and then to, to Atlanta. You know, of course, of course, <laughs> but of course. Well, all right. So, guys, this is going to we're going to carry this conversation over because it will definitely be something to talk about for future episodes. But before we end the show, I want everybody to know that we are brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Unfortunately, we have to end the show. But Jeff, we're going to end it in in a way that everyone loves, and that is with the poet Shel Krakowski, the musician Dave Dresser. The song is called "Baseball Always Brings You Home." And we'll see you next time on episode 151.
Yeah.